Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I wanted tonight to um, go back to the, the Buddha's words and get grounded in uh, in classical Buddha Dharma tonight. I've <clears throat> been talking a lot about things going on in the world, and we've looked at fear and trust and learning to not react to hatred with hatred and forgiveness, <clears throat> and all the topics that seem appropriate for these days. And uh, I've just felt a, um, an urge to get back to the roots, the classical, some classical teachings. <clears throat> and partly I felt that because um, it's getting clearer and clearer that things are not so clear. <clears throat> Uh, and I, um, when I look in my own experience, it's the truth is, as I've said here before, that um, I don't really know my answers. I don't really have answers. And talked last week about, uh, or two weeks ago, about letting go of of knowing or of having an answer as a kind of place that we can, we can rest in. So with that in mind, um, I came across some different references that the Buddha has on this subject. And actually, he has a number of references on the subject. I don't know if we'll get to all of them, but at least some of them. It's an amazing tendency that we have to want to fit everything in a neat little package and say, this is the right response. This is the real answer. I remember when I was growing up, there was, uh, I, I had this image was from taking all the math classes where, you know, in the back of the book, <laughs> if, you, if you completely gave up your last resort, okay, on page 362, what's the real answer? And I'd have this image in my mind that there was an answer for everything, the right answer up in the ethers, in the Akash, you know, the Akashic records, if I could just take a little peek at the answer, oh, that's the right answer. And it's really um, a tremendous relief to let go of knowing and let go of having the right answer. But it's not so easy. You know that uh, I, I've mentioned here before and probably a number of people uh, have, have seen Sun Sanim, the, uh, the wonderful Zen master, whose main teaching is, one of his main teachings is, don't know mind. You know, what's the answer? Don't know. You know, this thick 
Korean accent, you know. Where did you come from? Don't know. Where are you going to? Don't know. And he says, if you just keep this don't know mind, you'll be fine. You know? Because it's in wanting to know the answers that we get frustrated and confused and take us out of the moment and we miss what's happening here right now. This takes a lot of practice to let go of knowing. But when we can, it's a tremendous relief. And in fact, if you're familiar with the, the Four Noble Truths, the, the second Noble Truth, after the first one being there is suffering in life, the second Noble Truth, the cause of suffering is our attachment. And the Buddha talks about four great attachments that create suffering for us. One is attachment to physical experience, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, going for the pleasant. Another is attachment that we can have to our particular spiritual form, what is called rites and rituals, the right meditation, the right uh, church, the, the right so-called religion. Um, and he said we can get very caught up in defending our way as being the right way. And there can be attachment to the fundamental attachment to the idea, the concept of who we think we are, the concept of self. And the, one of these four is attachment to our views and opinions, which we can fight about, kill over, justify all kinds of consequences. That attachment creates a lot of problems, and when we can let go of that attachment to our opinions and views and to knowing, uh, there is a tremendous freedom. Also, Krishnamurti talks about this, and uh, in one, one of his books is called Freedom from the Known, where he urges, it's the same thing as Don't Know Mind, he urges to let go of your knowing, let go of everything you know from the past, not that you can't learn from that, but let go of fitting the present reality into a preconceived notion of how you think things are and basing this moment or the future on what's happened in the past. Freedom from the known. Well, the Buddha has uh, many references, as I say, around this not knowing. The one that I came across as I was trying to figure out what I was going to talk about today really leaped out at me. And uh, this might stir things up. Actually, I'm going to read something from this, the Anguttara Nikaya, and something from the Samyutta Nikaya, among other things, uh, that might stir up just a little bit. Um, but that's okay just as long as you don't try to figure it out, you'll, you'll be okay. This is from the Anguttara Nikaya, which are the numerical discourses of the Buddha. That's the name of this book. Uh, and in this collection, um, everything, uh, all the discourses are grouped into numbers, you know, like 
there's the twos, the two causes of this, and the two consequences of that. There's the threes, and the fours, the fives. I think it goes up to the uh, tens, is it? Let's see, tens. No, elevens. There's elevens, too. And this is from the chapter of the threes. Three sectarian tenets. There are, O monks, the Buddha says, three sectarian tenets which, if they are fully examined, investigated, and discussed, will end in a doctrine of inaction. Even if adopted because of tradition, what are these three tenets? There are monks, some ascetics and Brahmins, who teach and hold this view. Whatever a person experiences, be it pleasure, pain, or a neutral feeling, all that is caused by past action. There are others who teach and hold this view, the second one. Whatever a person experiences, all that is caused by God's creation. And there are still other ascetics and Brahmins who teach and hold this view. Whatever a person experiences is uncaused and unconditioned. And then he addresses each of these views. Now, monks, I approach those ascetics and Brahmins holding the first view and, say, and said to them, is it true, as they say, that you venerable ones teach and hold the view that whatever a person experiences, all that is caused by past action? When they affirmed it, I said to them, if that is so, venerable sirs, then it is due to past action done in a former life that people kill, steal, and engage in sexual misconduct, that they speak falsehood, utter malicious words, speak harshly, and indulge in idle talk, that they're covetous and malevolent and hold false views. But those who have recourse to past action as the decisive factor will lack the impulse and effort for doing this and not doing that. What he's saying is, if you interpret everything as based on past action, it will very easily lead to a sense of everything is predestined to some extent. This is one of the interpretations that, that is given for it, that it's all Everything we do now, or everything that will happen in the future, is already det been determined. And he says, this can lead to inaction, since they have no real valid ground for asserting that this or that that ought to be done or not ought to be done. This, the term ascetics does not rightly apply to them, living without mindfulness and self-control because they can abandon their engagement in the present moment if everything is everything that's going to happen has already been determined through past action that's the one 
the one way that I, I can understand this, and actually as I, as I read it, it was, I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Is he saying that karma doesn't exist? You know? So then I, I called actually my, uh, my compadre Guy Armstrong, who's an IMS, and he said, and I said, have you read that? He said, I just was reading it yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's great. And this is what he came up with uh, as well, and he had a couple of references that, uh, that seemed to indicate this is, this is what the drift was. And then he talks about those who think that everything is caused by God. And clearly, he says, if you think everything is caused by God, then you might, again, abdicate your participation in life. All been determined, or there's no, no way out. Then, the third one, that if you hold the view that everything is everything a person experiences is uncaused and unconditioned, that means, as the note says, that everything is just random, left up to fate. And he says, every one of those views, if you adhere to those views, can be dangerous in that they lead you to inaction. And that you don't understand the full complexity of how things are unfolding. And this leads to, I'll just read this first, this short passage, and then go to the Samyutta, which is a, which is a companion on this uh, same teaching. Unknowing karma. This is the Buddha's words. You've heard me say this before. The results of karma cannot be known by thought and so should not be speculated about. Thus thinking, one would come to distraction and distress. Therefore, Ananda, do not be the judge of people. Do not make assumptions about others. A person is destroyed by holding judgments about others and speculating about karma. Okay, so now... Here's this one. This is, this is also about karma. This is the connected discourses, the Samyutta Nikaya. He says, Master Gotama, this guy goes up to him, there are some ascetics and Brahmins who hold such a, do- a doctrine and view as this. Whatever a person experiences, whether it be pleasant or painful, or neither pleasant nor painful, neither painful nor pleasant, all that is caused by what was done in the past. Okay, so now he's going more deeply into that first one. What does Master Gautama say about this? Some feelings, Sivaka, arise here originating from bile disorders. <laughs> and he, he goes into this very first one, and then there's uh, seven others that are, that are like this. So I'll just read this first piece. <clears throat> it's nice to know the Buddha talked about bile disorders. Got very practical. That some feelings here arise here originating from bile dis- disorders one can know for oneself. 
and that is and that is considered to be true in the world now when those ascetics and brahmins hold such a doctrine and view as this that whatever a person experiences etc is caused by what was done in the past they overshoot what one knows by oneself and they overshoot what is considered to be true in the world therefore i say that this is wrong on the part of those ascetics and brahmins and then he says some feeling savaka besides the bile disorders some of our experience originates from from phlegm disorders okay <laughs> now there are eight different things a third some originate from wind disorders some from an imbalance of the three some of our experiences and our feelings are produced by change of climate some are produced by careless behavior some are caused by assault and some are produced as the result of kama he's putting karma and i'll use the the sanskrit word karma as one of eight possible sources of why we might feel the way we feel now as i read that i thought well wait a second doesn't karma fit into the others and it's when when i read this particularly about produced by careless behavior and caused by assault uh that made it quite relevant for this time because so many times the question has come up how could this happen what's the karma of 6000 people or what's the karma of 6 million people or whatever reference you're you're pointing to to go through such awful experience i'll just read a little bit of bit more of this piece and then i want to read the the note the footnote okay so some feelings are caused by etc all of these eight how some feelings arise here produced as the result of karma one can know for oneself and that is considered to be true in the world now when those ascetics and brahmins hold such a doctrine and view as this whatever a person experiences all that is caused by what is was done in the past they overshoot when what what one knows by oneself they they get out of their league of what their mind can comprehend now it's also said that the range of the buddha mind is one of the four unknowables just like karma so who knows maybe he he knew the fine distinctions between something caused by bile and something caused by karma but he said don't overshoot what you think you know don't overshoot and assume that you know and here's the um uh, let's see 
Here's the uh, note to this. In the argument, Vedana, feeling, is being used in the narrowest, narrower sense of painful feeling. That is, in your, your body you have some painful feeling. Bile, phlegm, and wind are the three bodily humors of Indian Ayurveda medicine. It should be noted that the Buddha's appeal to personal experience and common sense as the two criteria for rejecting the view that all feeling is caused by past karma implies that the view against which he is arguing is the claim that past karma is the sole and sufficient cause of all present feeling. So he's saying there might be other aspects besides karma. However, the Buddha's line of argument also implies that he is not denying karma may induce illnesses, etc., that serve as the immediate cause of the painful feelings. For this level of causality is not immediately perceptible to those who lack supernormal cognitive faculties. Thus, karma can still be an indirect cause for the painful feeling, directly induced by the first seven causes. It is the sufficient cause only in the eighth case, even though it must operate in conjunction with various other conditions. So what he's really saying is you don't know enough and you can't comprehend all the intricacies. He's not denying that karma, the law of karma, which is a very major part of his teachings. But he's just saying, let go of figuring it all out. There might be other factors at work. Now, by the way, something uh, uh, that occurs to me that's in the, in the uh, suttas is there's one discourse where the Buddha says, when asked if he's omniscient, he says, no. I'm not omniscient. I don't know everything. And I can't tell everything. And I'm not able to be tuned into everything at the same time, let alone predict all experience. And it's comforting to know. If the Buddha can let go of knowing answers, we certainly can. This capacity to let go of knowing, once you kind of get into it, it's fabulous. You know? It's such a relief. But what it requires is being very aware of that tendency that the mind has to figure out. You know? To, to wrap, you know that expression, to wrap our mind around. I, I just want to wrap my mind around it. And in many instances, it's too big to wrap our minds around. And if we can see the tendency to figure out that in itself, when the answer is not obvious, that in itself can be the signal to just relax and be open to listening instead of pouncing with our cerebral mind. 
There's a line in the third Zen patriarch I, I, I love, and I've said it, shared it here before. He says, stop talking and thinking, and there's nothing you'll not be able to know. Now that goes a little bit against being omniscient, but it's pointing to the fact that usually wisdom emerges when we have enough space for more cerebral thinking. That's how understanding comes. You know, when you really try to get to the bottom of things, what it does is tighten the mind. And in that tightness or agitation, we can't see clearly. We can't listen clearly. Whereas if you think about all the, the wise understandings that have come through you, most of them come when you've let go of that tendency to get the right answer. Rather, there's an openness and an ease, and things the, the wisdom shines through. And as I, I said, you know, these days, I pick up the newspaper, and I think I have some kind of opinion saying, don't they see? And then I read another article. Oh, well, gosh, it's, there might be more. And I can be very righteous at times in my perspective, but I don't know. I really don't know. It's not to say abandon your opinion, abandon your view, but it's to hold it in the space of perhaps more information coming through. All you can go by is what your heart says now, but perhaps other things emerge that might shift your thoughts. And when I think back, I might ask you to do this. Looking back, say, over the last five or ten years or more, can you think of any uh, perspectives that have shifted in your mind? That, that you were adamantly sure 10 years ago of? This is the way it is. Can you think, just think of something in your mind that's different now, that you hold differently than say 10 years ago or you know, 20 years ago if you want to be on the safe side. You know? And if you can remember how staunchly you might have held that, that view, there's a kind of humility that comes with that. I'll read to you a passage I've read before. It's one of my favorites, where he says, An accomplished person does not, by a philosophical view or thinking, become arrogant. One who is free from views, for one who is free from views, there are no ties. For one who is delivered by understanding, there, there are no follies. But those who grasp after views and philosophical opinions, they wander about in the world, annoying people. <laughs> we seem to annoy. A lot of people, anyone who has a different view than we do, 
either we're annoyed by or we annoy them. Now, uh, again, I I just want to stress, I think it's very important to listen to what your truth is and not abandon all views. Because if you do, then you're not engaged. There's no way that you uh, you can learn and awaken But if you're so fixed on your own view, again, you're not engaged in seeing subtleties and seeing there are as many takes on reality as there are minds in this room. I remember a number of years ago, I was with, uh, I spent time with uh, somebody who was who's a a mentor for for me and for uh, my wife, Jane. I I met this man through, through her. And um, uh, he, he actually married us. Uh, he performed the ceremony. And I remembered um, having all these kinds of ideas about uh, doubting how things were going to turn out. And uh, gosh, would I be able to fulfill some visions that I had? And, and he said, you don't have enough information yet. It was a very simple statement, you know. He said, until you have enough information, all you can go by is how things appear in the present moment. But realize that more information can come in and things can change. And it was, it was actually very profound advice that I've taken to heart and shared with many people since, that um, it's a kind of, it makes it an adventure. It makes it a kind of um, fascination of opening up to see how things will turn out. It's really, that don't know mind is not a kind of giving up and frustration. I just don't know. But rather, let's see. Let's keep listening to the truth as, it's, as it makes sense right now and keep living the question and keep exploring and keep investigating, keep awakening. <clears throat> and as far as having the right answer, so that things get solved, the problems get solved. Sometimes we can't solve the problems. And sometimes, as the Buddha did, we just have to sit on the sidelines. When, when we've done everything we can do, we can ju- or we can just sit on the sidelines and see. And there's a, a story of the Buddha um, trying to mediate between um, these two clans that had a battle over water rights. And there was a drought and there was a... Um, uh, they started fighting and accusing the other of, of being uh, greedy. And as he sat down with them and uh, uh, sorted things out, saying, this is the cause of the problem. And then 
the, uh, the, the fighting stopped. It was wonderful. But fighting happened again. And after I've read in one account where he tried a few times to stop the quarrels, and they kept on fighting, and finally he just sat on the sidelines and watched them fight. And then he walked away. And then there was another instance, which uh, we've, we've looked at in this, this group, when monks were fighting and bickering with each other, the quarrel at Kasambi, and there was such a, a schism in the Sangha that um, the whole order was threatened. And after doing his best to, uh, to bring some mediation, and finally, they wouldn't even let the Buddha intervene. These are the Buddha's disciples. And they, and they said to him, this is our problem. You, you just, you know, just butt out, basically. And he just left. Let them, let them take care of things as they do. Now, I'm not saying this is, this is the course of action that we should take not to abdicate responsibility, but when we don't know the answers, to just be able to sit with that unknowing, that cloud of unknowing, as I think it's said in the Christian uh, fathers, the cloud of unknowing. Can we live with uncertainty? Can we find some space and equanimity in the midst of complications and deep caring that allows us at least to find that centeredness that other people can benefit from. Because the more we try and struggle and get righteous and create other, those bad guys, whoever the bad guys can be, and they can switch too, can't they? and us good guys who really know the score, the more that is brought into the equation, the more we're still creating a sense of self and other. But to simply sit when we don't know what else to do and be with that unknowing, letting go of the answers, and doing what feels right to do without creating more division, without creating more adversary. Uh, this, is, this is a challenge for us all. So, with that in mind, um, let's open up the, the floor to see if there's any comments, any uh, reflections that you're going through these days with the current situation, or anything about practice. Real loud. Let's see if this this might work. Testing. Yeah. Yeah. Just pass it back. Um, yeah, I, uh, I have um mathematical mind. Sorry, go ahead, you'll have to just, yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you. So the, the, the practices help you sit with paradox. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Why don't you, if you, if you'd be so bold, stand up. That well, two things that I've been trying to or find myself using more in these times, and one is um, I'll often say to myself, almost as afraid to repeat when I start getting overwhelmed by what's happening, and just say causes and conditions, causes and conditions. Because it reminds me that there's so many of these that come into play to make what what I see, and I also experience within myself that there are so many causes and conditions. And then the other thing that I find myself doing is when I when all of these not knowing um, feelings produce this anxiety, or this stress, or this uh, anguish within, I find myself thinking. Um, what I want to see in the world, I should begin by trying to establish within. Mm. Um, and so what I wind up doing is, is just trying to um, picture, I find myself picturing my body as the world. And I say, now what I want for the world, let me try and establish in my body. And so I try to calm myself down. And it's not from a place of, hey, calm down now. It's, it's from a place of what do I want mm-hmm. to see in the world mm-hmm. and, and try and cultivate that with mm-hmm. me. And I find it really helps at night, mm-hmm. in particular, you know, if I, if I suddenly wake up and I get a racing anxiety or something like that. But also in the day, you know, in the middle of the day. Mm. That's, a, that's a great practice. And in a way, on a karmic level, one, one could think that as you are. Uh, embodying a certain energy that's we're all transmitting and receiving all the time so we're we're putting out the energy that that we want and other people can resonate with that and tune into that and the final point is when I do succeed in bringing myself back into my body and experiencing that peace that I want to see in the world I really notice a difference in how the world starts or, or I relate to what you know, it's that dynamic mm-hmm. and separated. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes it only lasts about a minute, 30 seconds, you know, when you go back to this thing. But it's a real, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. When you can just tap it. Mm-hmm. That's great. It's uh, that's Thich Nhat Hanh's book, Being Peace, you know, is, is really the essence of it. Being Peace. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, Kevin, I didn't see you. Come on up. Oh, stand, stand up. Um, Maybe can you stand up? Okay. Seems relevant to the topic. That, um, for some reason, I, I started thinking about Moses this morning or last night, and, um, and thinking about how history is written by the victors. They say about the viewpoint, and realize that from the Egyptian viewpoint, Moses was a wild terrorist. He was bringing plagues and these hard, hard 
just been thinking today just about where where are we in history? Uh, and just no, I, I don't know where we are. Okay. And it's that what's scary about that. It. It's so wanting to know, okay, are we going up now? And where, where would it come from for you? From my heart. From my stomach. There is something, there is something in me that is probably more um, certain about action than it's about being how to act in a way than it, than it is to how to think. Right. That's Right. It's not, uh, there's a difference between um, being cerebral, you know, from the action, there's lots of good rational actions, you know, it's not to let go of all your rationality, but like you say, you describe it as in your heart, we, we all have that place of wisdom that's the source of action when we're quite aligned. And for me, the, the, the guideline that I use is listening to the tone of the message that says, do this or don't do this. And if I can distinguish, if I listen carefully enough, I can distinguish between the words or the, the impulse coming from an agitation or a contraction or fear or aversion versus that action coming from a place of connectedness where it's not fearful, it's not contracted, it's just simply aligned with the truth as I see it right now. And I I think that's one of the main gifts of practice to get enough space around our mind, around our thoughts, so we're not jumping on everyone. So we practice just listening to where the thought is coming from. And the ones that are coming from a frightened place or an angry place or an, an agitated con- or a contracted place, we can simply notice, oh, there's confusion or there's fear and not act out of fear. You know, if you, if fear is in the driver's seat, you're going to be you know, you're going to be sorry. But 
when you can listen, it might be exactly the same message that says, this feels right, or this doesn't feel right. There's a place, I think, we can all contact that knows. So that's different than don't know mind as far as figuring out, but it's more a connection to your deeper wisdom, your, your Buddha nature, whatever you want to call it, and to keep on listening to that. Yeah. Um, and just listening to that, what you said, and your answer kind of answered something that was going on in my mind about a position or something I know, and I was thinking of the phrase, violence is never the answer, and I thought, that become a view or an attachment and I kind of got the answer when I thought of different ways I could feel that thought if it's in a critical way like violence is never the answer and they were violent or were judgmental, that's different than violence is not the answer and I don't have to do anything about that or criticize or judge so that I can hold a view but not Use it as a club. Mm-hmm. It's just a view. Mm-hmm. And it's open. Yeah. And even that response, uh, I don't know uh, if you've, another thing that's on the website, I think, I, I think it's been posted, or maybe it's just to the email groups, is a, um, an article, the Terror Koan, with all these uh, Buddhist teachers. This is before we started retaliating about the complexity of of the issue and is the right answer to just not respond at all. And a number of people said uh, there are times when in order to stop more harm that action needs to be taken. And some people, some very wonderful Dharma teachers said, you know, these might be one of these times. So even to hold the, the Violence is never the answer. Uh, there's more complexity to it. Yeah. First. To have sort of a, um, I don't know, a, a reference point. This, oh. You can do it. Let go of self. I think it could be, yeah. I mean, if you're, if there's, in don't know mind, you know, I don't know uh, how Sunsanim. It makes sense to me that he's pointing to the mind that's free of preconceptions. There, the 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 mind that's completely free and open, um, without the analysis going on, without the the discursive element going on. Uh, yeah, that one could say that is, you know, the awakened mind or the awakened heart. But it could also be, I think, different levels of that where you just kind of let go of knowing and surrender and say, I don't know, you know, which is a valid, I think, level of don't know mind, 
where you just kind of give up trying to figure it out. So I suspect that there might be different gradations of, of that letting go. Anything else? Yeah, Anne. Uh, well, I think, too, following that, there's a time, it's a time for a right speech, um, for sure. And uh, I think that uh, sometimes when you don't know that refraining from saying something that's not helpful um, is a very important lesson. And I think there's a lot of blame being flung about and uh, a lot of uh, someone here last week said one of the hard things is not getting your so not not to accepting what has happened but hearing what your friends have to say about it you know or arguing with your your uh, friends uh, or, or arguing with other people mm-hmm. and better just to not speak or, or to refrain and to use some some uh, self-control in that mm-hmm. and not to say things. And there's a lot of unhelpful uh, advice going around. Right <laughs> <laughs> and so don't, I don't want to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a very good strategy that the Buddha often used. He would just remain silent rather than participating. And if you think of the guideline being to say what's truthful and what's useful, that will eliminate a whole lot of speech, you know. <laughs> Just see, why, what is it? Why are you saying what you're saying? Um, and that's a, that's a, a very profound practice in itself. <clears throat> That sounds really useful, really useful. And to, to have restraint maybe that first day, which probably might have just created a whole lot more barriers and, and, uh, and alienation all around, to know the timing, to say when, when you are connected with what, you're say, with what you feel, and you can say it in a way that somebody's ready to hear, you know, that's, that's really skillful speech. And if not, then to, to wait. Because what, the thoughts that you have are one thing. Okay, you can let go of knowing the answers or you can you have all kinds of thoughts of, oh, this is the way it is. But once they're put into words or actions, the, the karmic consequence is much greater 
So to, to have enough restraint until you get clear where you're coming from as you speak, you know, that's, that's a very useful practice. Anything else before we close? Yeah, one more time, Chris. the key to all of karma. Get clear on your intention. Thank you. Okay, so let's close with a loving kindness. Now feel your heart center as you sit. That place that we think of that touches others and is touched by life. Breathe through your heart center. Visualize breathing in benevolent energy from around you. And have it touch your own good heart and fill your being with this energy. As you breathe out, visualize surrounding yourself with this energy and radiating it out. Then sending some kind thoughts to yourself. You might reflect on some quality or qualities about yourself that you appreciate as a way to access that warm feeling and deserving. May I be safe from inner and outer harm. May I let go of knowing when I don't know and connect with the truth of this moment. May I 
feel the love that's inside and express it well. May I have peace inside and may I be peace. And then extending this energy to everyone here and to all beings near and far. May all beings be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings feel the love that's inside and grow in kindness and compassion. May all beings have peace in their lives. Thank you. Have a good week. See you next week. This talk was given by James Barris at Berkeley Sitting Group on October 27, 2001. It is an offering of the... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.